this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Speaking of that union, welcome, Corey Kohler. Welcome to the union. Hey, Corey. Newest union member, joined up in the past week. And uh, we're happy to have you. Hope you are enjoying going through our backlog of 80s episodes exclusive to Patreon, checking out our Discord community, which I quite frankly cannot keep up with. There's so much conversation happening. <laughs> Every time you. I check in, uh, there's like 50 posts in. It, I, it has become my um, like, oh, I need to find something new to listen to. It's definitely my go to. Oh, yeah. For that. I have not only stuff. But there's stuff like I'm anticipating, like that uh, instrumental album by the death metal band that uh, everybody's like eagerly awaiting this obscure (laughs) (laughs) instrumental death metal album. (laughs) Like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Chip sold us. We're in. He did. And, uh, you know, uh, enjoy it all there, Corey. And uh, you'll be voting in future uh, polls for albums. And uh, maybe you'll join us for a, for a roundtable like the one that we have tonight that was from a um, poll we ran in January for our February roundtable. It's called In the 90s. It's where we'd look at a band that was successful in the 80s, kind of well-known for their 80s output. Previously, we've done Metallica, R.E.M., Van Halen, Tom Petty, Duran Duran, big, big artists, Aerosmith, you know. And then we look at what they did in the 90s. How did the 90s change them? How did they change the 90s? Lots to talk about. And with, for, we always need people that know what they're talking about because quite often we don't. Uh, joining us, he's pro- under protest. He's joining us. Ian McIver, welcome back. Hello. I, I think uh, for this poll, if you had any other bands besides the one that I'm protesting about, those <laughs> I would have voted for this roundtable. So, uh, uh, though the third option you had in the poll, I, I could have come up with a couple of better that would have kept it all within that same theme. So, but I'll, I'll let you go through with the poll. So, the poll, which we ran way back a month ago, was uh, three artists that were successful or well-known in the 90s, uh, or in the 80s, but continued on in the 90s. The third-place finisher was John Mellencamp. Uh, That was the oddball, I think, of this poll. I threw that in there to see what would happen against these other two. I thought thought those other two might split votes, and and John Mellencamp might pull ahead, but that was not how uh, (laughs) it it, it went. Uh, Second place was Depeche Mode. That's the the (laughs) one that... uh, Yeah. There's no way I'm not voting against my favorite band. So, and the uh, winner of the poll, The Cure, a little band called The Cure. Jay, you've heard of The Cure, 
I have. I have. We've all heard of the cure. I mean, it's it's you know, we're not gonna do a whole history of the band because that's kind of ridiculous. Everybody kind of knows who Robert Smith is and the hair and all that kind of stuff. The weird lipstick. Yes, exactly. Bruh. Although when you look at pictures of when he's young, there's not that that it's not as uh out there as it would later uh happen. Seems like he grew into that. Yeah. He yeah. seems to be one of those people that like invents a character and then just he continues to double down on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's nowhere to go but but more. So So I know you know who the QRJ. Did you ever have you ever owned any Cure albums or or gotten into them? Um so they were always in the 80s they were with Depeche Mode like the two alternative before alternative was a thing bands that were most well known like in junior high and early in high school like those were the first couple non like mainstream MTV bands that you would just hear about and know about and hear bits and pieces here and there. Um, I also remember them being like popular with girls too, which was a little like unusual, like in terms of, um, um, you know, a lot of bands would just like girls that would be just into pop music would also like the here in Depeche Mode. Um, there was a couple like that in my, in my school. So I just, um, I was very aware of them. And then later, like ministry and Spanish nails and became more aware of them, but they were sort of the like classic in my mind, they, they sit as like with Depeche Mode as the two like classic eighties alter- alternative bands that, um, sort of, you know, rolled into the nineties into, uh, what then became sort of the popular, um, genre of alternative rock. Ian, when did you first discover The Cure? What do you remember an album or a song or anything um, like that? Well, more more the the songs and so uh for for me, I mean, it'd be uh Just Like Heaven from 1987's uh, Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me. Uh, the the music video for that and then uh following up uh, obviously with 1989's uh, Disintegration and um the the videos for for that. So uh Lullaby, Love Song, uh, pictures of you so but it wasn't really until the 90s um when, when um by that time i was in high school and starting to get into my own musical identity that it's like okay i i, I like some similar stuff that i start to to get into uh the, the cure so um and uh well, i i can touch on that as we go through the, the stuff gotcha in the 90s. <laughs> And, and, and I'm like you, I, I, I think Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me was probably the first time I was like seeing that band on MTV and kind of like, what is this? Yeah. And those um, songs were just like in the ether. Yeah. Um, so those, just like having pictures um, you love song, like they were just, I, I knew them and I didn't know at the time, probably didn't know at the time they were the cure. It was later. I sort of, as I became more aware of the band, and started i heard wish and started putting together like oh that's that band that did this song okay now it's making sense but yeah for not having like major radio airplay at least in cleveland it's kind of amazing like i knew as much of the catalog as i did and i feel like i don't even know that they were in the movies 
But I feel like the whole John Hughes thing, like with the psychedelic furs and, and a lot of those like new wave bands, like they sort of were in that same ballpark mm-hmm. where if you saw those movies, then you were sort of aware of like all this alternative music, even if you weren't someone that was going to record stores and going to those shows, you just kind of knew of these bands that were in that universe. Yes. Um, but I didn't really get into them in terms of an album. I think wish was probably the first time I heard an entire album by them. And then I went backwards to disintegration. That's in terms of sales and in like notoriety in the United States. Disintegration is where they sort of peak. Um, that's where they had, I think that was double platinum in the U S you gold in the UK, gold in Germany, gold in Switzerland. Prior to that, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me went platinum in the US and gold in the UK. And then the head on the door was the first album to do any sort of success for the cure in the US. That was a gold album. So you sort of have like this slow climb up to a double platinum with disintegration. And then Wish is platinum and Wild Moods Mood Swings is gold in the US. And that's the last time that they registered that achievement with an album release. Um, and then I do remember wild mood swings because that's 96. That's right. When I was in the middle of college radio, I remember like mint car and, and those songs getting, getting singles for those like CD singles prior to the album coming out. Um, and then I remember there was a long buildup to the 2000 album blood flowers. I want to say that there was stuff like on Napster. Like mm, that was yeah, floating around maybe from live shows or, or what have you. But I, like there was a, that was in enemy and Q magazine. Like they're working on an album. They're working on an album. They're working on an album. And it's, it was just like taking forever. I did not realize, and we can get into it with the getting into the record, how much turnover there was in terms of um, people in the band. Yeah. Uh, at one point 80s is worse yeah there is i mean there is a lot of past members um and and then famously uh i think lowell tollhurst tollhurst is that how you say it tollhurst tollhurst is probably the most famous member besides robert smith and he was sort of in and out he got he got fired right around the time of disintegration because of alcoholism yeah so he, he was one of the original members he's going back to the easy cure days <laughs> back in the 70s before they actually became transitioned to the cure okay. and this is probably going to lead into the beginning of our, our 90s discussion because so disintegration he is battling alcoholism they bring on um uh, roger o'donnell to fill in with with keyboards now lull was originally the drummer and then transitioned to keyboards uh, around um, the head on the door. Uh, but when um, they brought on Boris Willison or sorry, uh, Williams to, uh, to be the drummer. But uh, so during this integration, Lowell's doing nothing. Roger's stepping up the, 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 the bat uh, after helping him out with the, the previous tour. And then it's like, okay, like, the band sent an, essentially an ultimatum, like you, you gotta get rid of him. And so uh, eventually he did. 
Um, now, leading into the 90s, uh, the specter of Lull was still there because at, in 91, he then sued Robert Smith and the cure for ownership and, and royalties over the name. Right. So, and I believe during his... After leaving the band, didn't he go play with Page and Plant? I think he did, yeah. Um, I'm not as familiar. I'd have to go on Wikipedia and check. <laughs> and check. So uh, I, it's my father's the Led Zeppelin fan, not me. <laughs> gotcha. I'll, I'll double check that. But I'm pretty sure that like that was a that was kind of like a big deal. Yeah, he he um he played he played with them when they did their Page Plant tour. Yeah, and um. People were like, "Oh, that's so and so from the Cure playing with them," and I was like, "I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, that's fine, but I don't, I don't have any like idea like what his role was in the Cure. I didn't know he was a founding member of the Cure and that sort of thing. So, um, at that point, I was still sort of like listening to just the singles and whatnot in the in the early to mid '90s, even though I'd heard Wish and and gone back and they actually started the '90s. What's interesting is with the mixed up album, yeah. um which is a an album of remixes of previous singles and um there was a single like they used to do uh you know in the 90s they'd be pumping out once you had like two albums worth of good material then there'd be a greatest hits with like uh a bonus track that would then be the new single and that's what happened never enough which is the last track on the mixed up record um, is actually a was a single, so it was their first single of the '90s, and it ended up going to number one in the on the U.S. alternative airplay chart, number six on the U.S. dance club chart, number twenty five on the U.S. hot dance single sales, and number thirty three on the U.S. mainstream chart, also seventy two on the Billboard Hot 100. So there's a band that's coming off of like a huge success with Disintegration, you know, a number of big singles from that record and then put out a remix album and score a big hit single with that. Uh, did, did I of you check out the mixed up album at all? Oh, I love it. So I, I obviously have quite a few cure, cure CDs and right. And, and stuff. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so with, with that album, it collected like, a lot of the extended mixes for like uh disintegration for those singles and kiss me kiss me kiss me but then there was others um that were remixed and, and some were actually re-recorded uh, vocals like they weren't actual remixes in, in the sense but um uh, and keep in mind in, in 1990 i mean throughout the 80s especially at the start a lot of remixes were or 12 inch singles i'll say i won't even say remixes were just extended versions of of album tracks or 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 they might have been just edited down for the album and the 12 inch was the actual uh proper version uh new orders blue monday would be a prime example of that (laughs) um and and that wasn't really until like the mid 80s where like zzt did did the 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 whole remix single for frankie goes to hollywood uh relax and then it start then you start again the other bands uh hopping on and doing uh more remixes with outside people um 
And, and so uh, when, when it came time for, for mixed up, it's like, let's collect this. And, and Robert Smith wanted to do something a bit fun. I mean, th- this integration uh, is a very um, melancholy album. Right. To put it, to put it lightly. So uh, he, he kind of wanted to, to somewhat bounce out and like, let's have a bit of fun. I, I mean, uh, and the cure has somewhat been like that. I mean, you, you go back to 1982 with um, pornography. I mean, very definitive gothic rock album. And then you've got the top afterwards, although it's kind of really Robert Smith's solo album. I mean, but it's more in the psychedelia uh, in terms of uh, music on that album. So, uh, I mean, the cure has always jumped around with the genre. <laughs> Gotcha. I was, I mean, I think looking at the transition between, you know, if you look at Disintegration and Wish, having never having the mixed up album in between, even though it's remixes and stuff, it is a little bit like jarring because those aren't dancey records. <laughs> and then you have this, like you said, like it's mostly 12 inches and remixes and, and re-recordings, but it's a, it's a weird um, in-between period that... Uh, that happens. And this is also, you're just uh, hanging out the wrong clubs. I think I, I wasn't going to the right clubs when I was, uh, 16, 17. (laughs) (laughs) So for wish, which is the first, you know, album that's not remixes and whatnot. Um, this is the first one. This is where we have, um, uh, what's his name? So, yeah, guy who so, replaced Lowell actually didn't stay with the band. No, no. So he he left afterwards, and then um, after the, the whole after the mixed up uh, project, um, Perry Beaumont was uh, was brought in, and so he he was, I, I believe, one of the techs uh, beforehand uh, for the for the previous. <laughs> yeah, tour. he was the guitar tech. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, oh, let's and, just have him play. Yeah, so he, he came in with, with, with keyboards and uh, and then after um, after Pearl Thompson left, switched over to guitars. So he, he's had uh, a, a few hats within the band. But um, yeah, so he, he came in. So that, that was a, a big change. And obviously the big change between the 80s material and the 90s. I mean, excluding disintegration because it wasn't involved with the absence of of lull um and and you can you can definitely hear that i mean like the disintegration that was written by robert smith that was kind of like his like okay i gotta have this masterpiece before i'm 30 
and was very depressed about it. And I mean, obviously it was a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in my opinion, because I don't really care much for anything after disintegration. But, um, but then uh, with Wish, now the band is a lot more involved in this creative process. <laughs> and, they, and what's interesting is they have the same producer for both those records. Dave Allen, who's the producer on Disintegration, is also the producer on Wish. And I mean, he's got the pedigree for this style. I mean, he worked with The Mission and um, The Chameleons and Wire and Sisters of Mercy, Psychedelic oh, yeah. Furs. I mean, he's got a big uh discography it's as terms of being a producer so what do you think it is you mentioned about you know disintegration sort of being the the ending point for your uh interest what what's the difference for you between disintegration and wish i I, wish um like a lot of the cure stuff like let's look at the past three albums disintegration kiss me kiss me kiss me and the head on the door Uh, i mean there there's a fine balance i mean robert smith has two extremes like one is the extreme gothic (laughs) side and then the other is a very poppy side and the three albums beforehand had a very delicate balance between those i mean like just like heaven lullaby pictures view love song uh close to me i mean those are all songs that you can play on the radio and people aren't going to drive their car off a a cliff (laughs) but um with with wish it was kind of like okay, let's get a bit more, um, and it was a bit more uh, on the poppy side, I, I found. Um, and, and it was like, okay, like, they, they, I mean, they deserved it. I mean, they, they, they had a, a massive tour in 89. I mean, they can do what they want right. at this point. And it's just, um, it was like, there, there's something not there i mean there were a couple of songs on on wish that are, are good i mean um uh high which was the the lead single and then um trust i think was the r1 open the, the opening song so i i mean there, there it's not to say that this is a bad album but it the other thing as well with this album i find the other albums are, are a very cohesive album this this album you start to get all these different little things and it's not really cohesive. <laughs> and that trend would continue with the next album as well. Gotcha. Jay, did you uh, have thoughts on wish? Yeah. So I'm, I'm investing most of my time in the two nineties records. I felt like this, this didn't feel like so far off from disintegration. The little bit I, I, I listen to it um i definitely hear like more of a band involvement which i really do like quite a bit it doesn't probably go as dark and gothy but instead it gets maybe dreamier um when it gets you know darker um i think it's got i I felt i felt it was pretty consistent um you hear all the different shades of the band but i think because of that band approach or you hear the different sides of like Robert Smith's writing, but because of the band approach, it holds together as an album to me pretty well. Um, I, w- I was kind of, I was in, also in just impressed by the playing, like the bass lines. Um, I saw on this record, they use, they use some six string bass. 
Um, oh, yeah. It's very melodic and um, great tones, uh, really good guitar parts. The drumming is fantastic. A very unique drumming um, on this record with lots of little accents and um, just a very unique feel uh, that I can't quite think of another album from a drum standpoint that sounds like this or another band. So yeah, I think it, to me, it represents what I think of when I think of the cure. Now I'm coming from a very general perspective on this. Um, I also remember, I don't know, did we cover some of these songs? I remember we did it. We covered um, high for a cure tribute. I remember a letter to Elise as well, too. Um, so I was very familiar with those. That, that was kind of an easy entry for me back into the record of like, oh, yeah, I remember these songs. OK, this is what this record sounds like. I mean, Friday I'm in Love is a really great pop song. I mean, it's just that is just written like a hit song from the moment you it kicks in like. Like, OK, that's there's the hook and that's how like lyrics that are like super radio friendly and so i can see ian grimacing at the mention of <laughs> friday i'm in love <laughs> yeah oh uh it, it just ticks me off that anytime i hear the cure on on satellite radio it's always friday i'm in love and i'm like <laughs> there are so many better songs and even on this album like i said i mean like high was a great lead single and, uh, uh, and it's a good song a part was good trust is good uh, and there, like to me there's a lot better songs it's just this this one i it, it's unfortunate like it's not it is a cure song but it's not representative of what the, the cure is yeah, yeah and unfortunately it's the one that defines them I think I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap because I feel like if you look at their greatest hits, this slots in with the poppiest of their poppy songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it sticks out like a sore thumb on this record because, like you said, Jay, there's there's definitely more of a dreamy than a gothy aspect to this record. Um, It's also really long. It's like 65 minutes and there are some overly long tracks on this record that made me zone out for periods of time. Um, I don't feel like this one carries this, it, it all the way through the way that like disintegration does. And it has disintegration feels like an, a real album. That's just chock full of really great songs. Whereas this feels like there's some really good songs, but it feels like an assemblage of songs as opposed to a song cycle or, or a, 
or a concept or or some sort of like collection of connected songs. I, yeah, like I, like I said, it's not as cohesive as the past yeah. three albums. <laughs> I agree though that the, that song, if you put it with their greatest hits, you're like, oh yeah, this fits right in, and to the point where. I had forgotten that it was a 90 song. I thought it was an 80 song. I thought yeah. it was released much earlier than it was. And it was sort of took me aback. I had to check the <laughs> the record to make sure I was like, this song's really on this record. It's not mislabeled. Like yeah. it even just has a little bit more of an 80 sound to it. Um, listening to it now. Like when I think of like their poppy, I mean, like, why can't I be you with those horns? Like that's way poppier. And, and a, a like aggressively poppy uh than than friday i'm in love but i get it because it's such a like it seems like a such a simple idea that it's almost annoying yeah but that's what that's why the serious plays the shit out of it right (laughs) exactly that's that's what hip-hop songs are you know it's the same thing with radiohead the only song you hear is creep on like mainstream radio they don't play Maybe they'll play fake plastic trees, but almost 99% of the time, if you're hearing a radio song, Radiohead song on radio, you're hearing Creep. Creep is a much simpler idea. Like everybody gets it right away. Right. They're not going to play Paranoid Android. Right. You're like, what are they talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, like I said, I mean, this got, this did well. Um, Some of the reviews weren't great. Um, it got this a. They're also their highest charting album as well. So they went number one UK and other markets as well. Like, if you're looking at the album for not in terms of reviews or or even sales, because obviously disintegration was double platinum, but right. this is their commercial peak. Yeah, and I think prime. I mean, pushed by the success of of uh, the single, which when I look back at at there so friday i'm in love went to like basically charted and everywhere pretty high um we're talking top 20 basically around the world including number one as a u.s alternative hit so the only country or the only chart in on wikipedia where it's not like top 20 is um australia made it to 39 but and this is coming off of you know you got to look at like this is just a string of fascination street uh love song pictures of you never enough there was also the the remix of close to me charted from mixed up before that from you got hot 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 just like heaven and why can't i be you from kiss me kiss me kiss me they all charted well so i mean this is a band that's getting on the radio consistently not just college radio and not just like underground radio but they're actually getting into some mainstream radio in the u.s for for a couple of years before this so it would make sense that then this all peaks with friday i'm in love which is like the penultimate robert smith pop song um so after this, well, I, I got to mention, they put out a bunch of stuff on a bunch of live albums in the 90s. Yeah, um, there's two live albums. So there was Paris and Show. So um, 
and both covering the the tour for for wish so also um, entreat oh entreat was earlier sorry yeah entreat was actually 91 sorry yes I'm yeah but uh, and that was just france only and then kind of released elsewhere in europe because uh it's Europe and then later re-released fully in 2010 for the disintegration uh, um, re-release and that so the the entries one I mean obviously I love it so it's um, the original version from the 90s was just eight songs the re-release has all 12 from disintegration so but then um, a show in Paris uh, so just trying to recall so um paris is kind of the um has all the hits on gotcha and then show is kind of like the deeper uh cut uh for uh for for the songs so actually i'll just check quickly you said you had the cds do you have sorry show show is the show was the hit paris was the, the deep cut gotcha do you have so uh, there was a special 1994 cassette only limited edition four track instrumental uh release from the the wish sessions that apparently is very hard to find i wonder if it's on if they added it to like extended versions of the album that have been re-released or or whatnot i'm just thinking of getting a cassette in the mail in the mid 90s and just being like, now I got to find my di- my my Walkman. I switched over to a Discman. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, still, I mean, and, uh, I mean, even the stereo I had in my bedroom uh, in the nineties had cassette and CDs. So, oh yeah, that's how you copied your CDs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Major mixtapes. Yeah, and, and most. And more likely, had a car with a cassette player than the CD, and yeah, you'd have your disc band with the little cassette thing that you would plug into the headphone. Plug it in. Plug it into the car. CDs and cars were a disaster for a long time. Oh yeah, it took them a long time to work that out. Yeah, Yeah. there's a '90s roundtable. Won't cover any albums, but just technology, music technology. (laughs) Yeah, would be good. Yeah. Let, let's re, let's relive it all the pain and suffering we had <laughs> no wonder the music was depressed in the 90s it should be mentioned the live album show was also accompanied with a vhs yeah uh so if you wanted to slap that in your vhs player <laughs> you could watch that show as well as uh watch those performances of show yeah and then <clears throat> so this follows up i well i, I was going to mention so the the reviews were good, but not like w- I, there were some negative reviews of this record, which I was kind of surprised to see. Like um, Robert Cousteau was a fan of The Cure, gave, only gave this a C plus. Um, it has a, a three and a half out of or two and a half out of five stars on all music, which I was kind of shocked to see. Huh. Yeah. Um, Los Angeles Times only gave it two out of four stars. So there were some dissenting. I mean, some places like uh, NME gave it an eight out of 10. Um, Rolling Stone gave it a four out of five. So there were some places, but it was more mixed than than what I was expecting. Um, but that that's what happened even back then with, with other 
bands as, as well like this i mean it's just like okay these guys are still outside uh, of the norm i mean even though now in 92 alternative has taken off and and i mean like there's other albums uh, of for the cure and other peers where it's like okay yeah they've only got two out of five in rolling stone but then it's like oh like 25 years later we do a retrospective review and five stars man like can't live without it so uh, it, i mean like sometimes it's like yeah you have to take these things with a grain of salt because they will go back and look at big albums and it's like yeah we crashed it at the time back in 92 but you know what now we're like singing its praise <laughs> so history is written by the victor i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so after this comes out um they toured a lot they, they were a stadium touring band at this point all around the world yeah. i mean they're playing south america i mean I, that's the other thing i don't think that i had a good grasp on was how big this band was that globally um they were just they were able to play like the big festivals and and touring and and uh lead tours all around the world um and then so that goes on for a while they contribute a song to the crow soundtrack actually before that they did the Jimi hendrix tribute album oh that's right the stone is it stone free yeah yeah they did purple haze or um i forgot what the tribute album is Right, Stone Free, a tribute to Jimmy Hendrix, that came out in 93, and that featured uh, a very diverse lineup. Uh, you have like people like Buddy Guy and Eric Clapton and Pat Metheny, and then also Living Color and Body Count and the Spin Doctors. This isn't like an alternative Jimi Hendrix a tribute album this is all over the place you got slash playing with paul rogers and the band of gypsies oh my goodness yeah um there was a i just remember that being released and i remember the album cover that's it i don't know that i've ever heard any yeah. of it yeah so... i don't remember much uh, and i mean I, at the time i remember hearing the cures cover of, of purple haze because that was a promotional single for this album and then following this then 94 is when the crow soundtrack com comes out and they contribute the song burn which i don't know if that charted or not i'm gonna take a look no at it was it wasn't a, a single um so okay. the only single that they released for the crow was uh stone temple pilot big empty because they were on atlantic and the soundtrack was put out on atlantic so they put up one well, of their own <laughs> out to promote the album mm -hmm. okay uh, so even though uh burn is definitely by far the best song on that album I don't rem see that was like a such a weird cultural thing where the movie did well, but it was really because I feel like more because Brandon Lee died. Yeah, it had more all this mythology around it. Yeah, and then of course it had a lot of big bands that all sort of blew up at the same time. 
Um, is that Nine Inch Nails covers Dead Souls on? That yeah, one? yeah. So that Dead Souls is on there for Nine Inch Nails. So originally for the co- pro soundtrack, they uh, approached um, uh, New Order <laughs> to do the soundtrack. Um, uh, Joy Division and The Cure have were both extensively referenced in the original Crow comic book. <laughs> And okay. so they, they approached uh, New Order, who obviously succeeded uh, Joy Division after Ian Curtis's uh, suicide. Um, they were unable to do so because they're busy with uh, their own uh, album and activities in 93 with uh, regret. So, um, uh, but uh, then um, they, but gain uh, both The Cure and uh, Nine Snails to do the Dead Souls, um, the Joy Division cover was obviously a, a huge grab and um obviously relates well with the the movie and the source material so you think that uh or or would you imagine the the cure contributing a song to the judge dread soundtrack featuring uh, sylvester stallone and rob oh schneider no. yes they did no. they, they did that they did that. They did that. In fact, Dread it's song. called Dread Song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was over to closing credits. What? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. understand this band. I know. Yeah. Sometimes they, there's some weird things How does happening. That happen? Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. So after Wish, I mean, Robert Smith decided I'm going to do these lists of stuff. I mean, they didn't do any of this type of stuff throughout the 80s and that i mean robert smith was obviously at first busy with the cure and then he was a member of susie and the banshees mm-hmm. uh, and then went back and focused on the cure so uh, i mean it was a very busy time and now it's like okay i'm at this this level where i can do what i want to do <laughs> and so uh, i i don't blame him i mean but i mean results may vary <laughs> Jay, as, one- as we have discuss one piece of trivia before we we leave the judge dread soundtrack um (laughs) the manic street preachers last song that they wrote with richie edwards before he disappeared yeah was a song called judge yourself it was supposed to be for the soundtrack and then he disappeared and they didn't they basically didn't like um finish the song and it didn't make the soundtrack but they ended up releasing it on the Lipstick Traces Secret History of the Manic Street Preachers compilation in 2003. So, had it been it had been recorded at the time, they just yeah it. yeah. So that's interesting that that was the last song, and it was for the Judge Dread soundtrack. So, <laughs> I, weird I, things all around this Judge Dread soundtrack. That's all I'm I mean, saying. I remember the movie, but I do not remember there being a soundtrack of note. Yeah, well, so well, weird. I feel like every movie in the '90s had to have a bunch of like the Cocteau Twins were on it, and yeah, the the like, what is this? <laughs> it's a hodgepodge. Yeah, it's a very hodgepodge. Yeah. And that, but but I mean, going going back to to the Crow soundtrack and Burn, I mean, like like this is when I I really got into the Cure. So I mean, I I got the the soundtrack, and it's like, oh my goodness, like. Like Burn was obviously uh, a notable song because I mean, yeah, it was used in the movie. Um, 
Uh, it wasn't just like, oh, here's a, another song we're going to tack on the soundtrack. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's prominently used in the movie. So it's like, okay. And then, and it's like, okay, I really like this. I mean, I, I know on the Discord, uh, we had a discussion a few weeks ago. And to me, it's like, yeah, to me, this is like the, the definitive 90s soundtrack. I mean, some people think singles and they're not wrong, but it's like singles represented a scene where this kind of gave a broad overview of like, this is what was going on in at this point in time in the nineties. <laughs> and uh, so then it's like, okay, I love this. And so then it's like, okay, go back. Wish. Well, it's okay. Actually, I got wish and disintegration at the same time. And, <laughs> and, uh, and um, uh, I probably listened to the disintegration first and I was like, okay, yeah, I love this. And wish was kind of like, that's oh, all right. But <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, th this is the point for me where I kind of latched on. It's like, okay, this is a band. Um, continue going back in, in the discography. <laughs> so, well, let's and, take a step forward. Because... Actually, the only other thing oh. we should say before we move ahead is, is the other lineup changes that happened at this time. As oh, well. yeah, lineup changes. Those are important. Yeah, so because... Um, so Pearl Thompson left after Wish and, and Perry Belmont, as I, I said before, would move from guitar to or from keyboards to guitar. Uh, Roger O'Donnell uh, came back, returned to the band uh, for keyboards, and then um, Boris Wilson, the the drummer, uh, since the head on the door had uh, left and was replaced by Jason Cooper. Um, Simon Galp, the bass player, he did leave for a bit because of medical issues. So, I, I mean, but uh, I mean, it wasn't like the other times where he was fired from the band or left. <laughs> so this was more of a just a leave. But uh, I, I mean, he wasn't absent from any of the recordings that I'm aware of. <laughs> now, what's interesting on their 1996 album, Wild Mood Swings, is when you look at their technical credits, it's usually like one or two people. Um, Robert Smith was in control of things. He's working with Dave Allen. Uh, they moved to Steve Lyon as the producer on this with Robert Smith. But then you look at like mixing on this record, Alan Mulder, Tim Palmer, Tom Lord, Algie, Sean Slade, and Paul Coldery from the Fort Apache studio. I mean, there is like a, a whole bunch of big name folks involved with making this record happen in terms of the production and engineering end of uh, Wild Mood Swings. There are 11 people with mixing credits. That's great. That's like basically a person <laughs> per song. I, I don't think it works as that way. Yeah, usually you don't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um now I remember when this I remember spring of 86 or or sorry spring of 96 uh we got the CD single for the 13th that was the lead single com that came out before actually the the album Everyone feels good in a Not 
And it is a bizarre single to lead this album. It's a like a Latin bossa nova with horns and percussion. I mean, I I, I kind of dug it because I wasn't a Cure fan. You know, in terms of like, I didn't have any sort of allegiance to pornography or Head on the Door or any of those albums. So I was just like, oh, this is a weird, interesting, cool song that sounds like the mid 90s where like anything was going. And clearly... Robert Smith thought so too because he decided to like put down the guitar and pick up some cassinets. And uh so is is this like I don't know Cure fans well enough. Do we, do they have a nickname? Are they Curies or or Cureheads? I haven't, or? Heard, of, I haven't heard of any nicknames. So. But I gotta imagine this is a pretty divisive album in the Cure fandom. Yeah, th- this is this is probably up there uh, i mean the only album that i could think that would be more divisive would be uh the top from 1984 but like i said that's more of a robert smith solo album because he pretty much did everything and that was also during the, the time when he was a part of uh, susie and the banshee so yeah this one's a very um divisive one i although uh, i remember like i think it was around 2007 2008 around time uh for 413 dream came out and robert smith said oh yeah this is one of my favorites <laughs> so i mean he's still a fan of it but um but uh, that doesn't mean the fandom has to uh like it <laughs> and i know i don't feel like that like there are songs on here that sound like the cure like mint car sounds in the same vein of like friday i'm in love and and some of the earlier singles but there are just some like very weird sounds and, and choices on this. Jay, what did you think of this record going back to it? It sounds old, like more dated and older to me than wish. It was weird that it it's actually three, what, two or three years later. Right. It doesn't sound like part of it. Parts of it sound like very eighties parts of it sound almost Disney like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, 13th. I think it's the 13th. Um, could have been on the Lion King parts of it. Just like, <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, there is Wild Mood Swings is probably the best title for this record. It just feels all over the place. I mean, you've got trumpets and trombone and violin and cello, and like it's just every song is a left turn. Um, sonically, it sometimes comes back i think mint car is a good example where it kind of comes back to the band format and it's yeah. feels like a song that could have been from that record but just sonically it doesn't sound to me as good it's just a little tinny and kind of i, I don't know it, it lacks that um i don't know that dreary saturated kind of sound that that wish has this has a much more poppy punchy sound um and it just sounds thinner um overall yeah too. yeah like club america is an example of where it's it sounds so thin and also he's singing in this like faux um it sounds like a bad version of the alarm or something like that like i don't know what is going on with him 
just messing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like all over the place on this record, and it's really long. And I think that um, song has sitar too. Just yeah, like, why not? Well, it's, it's not just the sitar. Like, why not? Let's just throw things on top of this, and <laughs> I feel like that. Uh, I wonder, like, how much of this was. You mentioned about the band having more influence on the last record. Like, I'd be yeah. curious to know, like, how much Robert Smith was like, um, actually directing these these songs, or how much, um, because it says yeah. all songs by the band, like all of them have yeah. five ways. So, like, I, I want to know who was who was writing what because there are some weird weird choices on yeah. this record. Yeah, because I know, like, initially, like, like I said, um, Simon Gallup, the bass player, like, he wasn't involved early on because he was on a on a medical leave from the band. So it was pretty much just um, Robert Smith and, and Perry Beaumont who started off, and then they brought back Roger O'Donnell. Then they were able to recruit a drummer. So uh, I, I mean, even during, from from what I've read, and I don't know how accurate it is. I mean. Even within the development of this album, the band went through several iterations in a way. And so, I mean, I don't know if that affected it because it's like, okay, Robert and Perry start off with a couple of things and then it's like, okay, and then they, they, they pick up Roger and it's like, okay, now we're, we're, we're going to add on this. Uh, and then Simon comes back and, and um, Jason joins the band. So it, it's like, uh, how much iteration did this stuff go through compared to what was originally proposed? Or did this just all, it's like, okay, we've got all the players. Here's a couple ideas. Now let's get some songs going. And it's just like all these just little different ideas that they had. And that might be why it's all over the place. I mean, I, I know myself, uh, I mean, the only songs I come back to on this album really are, are uh, Numb and uh, Mint Car, if I, if I feel like it. <laughs> It's like they they like it was almost like the directive was write songs and none of them can sound like another one. Like return sounds like wings. It's it sounds like liver let die as as if the cure wrote liver let die. I mean it's just like what is going on? There is no there's no consistency to this record in any way shape or form. It's so weird. Um I couldn't I just can't wrap my head around was and there's some like there's very little electric guitar, and then when they do, it is so generic sounding. Like it's a complete opposite of the last record where yeah. you still got really cool guitar lines. You mentioned like the six string bass and whatnot. Whereas here, like they bring in this, some guitar stuff and it's like very bluesy and yeah, like what? What? Yeah, it sounds like session players or something. Like it doesn't yeah. have a, a cool like yeah unique feel. I, it, it does follow if, if you're saying wish the wish tour is kind of the culmination of like that's the height of their success right like they're climbing 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 they get to that they're playing arenas they have their biggest hit ever yeah that's the peak this definitely feels like the response to that to say like well we can do whatever we want so let's do whatever we want this sounds very indulgent and looking at the credits it reinforces the way it sounds it just probably cost a ton of money and they were going to do everything. And that ties into why I said earlier on about them doing like 
the cover, the soundtracks and everything. It's like, we yeah. got to a certain point, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> Get all the trumpets. <laughs> there are a lot of horn players on this record. There are one, two, three, four, five trumpet players. That's too many. Yeah. You're not, you're not tower of power here. You, you don't need that many trumpet players. Uh, and I'm not even getting in the trombone and saxophone. That's just trumpet. Right. I just, I, th- this album just was so confusing to listen to. And I agree. There's like a couple of really good tracks. And then the rest of it just, is just like head scratching. Also because the songs are just like not particularly good. They're just sort of like average yeah. songs. Yeah. Um, they sound like average songs with like a lot of production over top to try to cover that they're average songs. I guess is a <laughs> yeah one way to one way to think about it or say it. Um, all right, let's let's move on from that. I do want to get to the for the masses. Yeah, uh, so we can't forget that we've covered it on this podcast for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously, this is straight up my my alley. So um, yeah, so. Uh, uh, 1500 records and um, God Lives Underwater. They are playing together as this uh, Depeche Mode tribute album. And so they were having some difficulty at first. I mean, they secured, obviously, uh, a previously recorded uh, version of Never Let Me Down Again from the Smashing Pumpkins, which was a B-side, I think, uh, in 93 or 94. And so um, they, they were trying to, having difficulty recruiting people. They approached uh, Robert Smith, and he said, "Sure, I'll do it." Now, of course, soon as they got Robert Smith and the Cure, everyone else jumped on because I mean, like, like, and it's a bit of a, a an oddity. I mean, you look at tribute albums, like all these bands that are influenced. I mean, it's very rare that you have a tribute album with one of your peers on right. it because these two bands are are know each other and they are friends, <laughs> and. Um, so uh, initially, they were going to do uh, Walking in My Shoes, but then um, I wasn't going anywhere. And so then Robert Smith recorded uh, World in My Eyes on his own. So this uh, this uh, cover version does not have any other members of the band on it. <laughs> it was just him in a studio by himself. Interesting. Uh We've obviously talked about this because we did an episode on this. We like a lot of the songs on here. Um, I was surprised that it didn't get, this was not well received. It got like four out of 10 stars in NME when it came out. Do any, are any of the tribute albums well received? Very few. (laughs) (laughs) Probably Uh, not. They seem to be like from a critical standpoint, uh, a hard a hard sell it is a very there there are very hard sells and and i mean the the thing is that most people view tribute albums as kind of controversy free exposure yeah and then this like you've got a well-known band everyone loves the beatles or the stones or zeppelin or in this case the pesh mode it's like you, you know what no one's gonna say anything bad about the songs and but it's like okay we can get our name out there our exposure and but you know what two months later everyone's gonna forget about it but you know what they may some person listening to this because it's like oh 
I like this band. Oh, this is a good song. I'm going to check out this other song by so-and-so band. So it's, it's never, I can't think of any that have been received by, uh, by the press as uh, good. Yeah. Uh, the same year, the X-Files, the album came out from the movie, the X-Files that was, that came out in 98. Oh and yeah. uh, this, this has some good stuff on it. The Cure contributed the song more than this, which is not a cover, I think, of Roxy Music. No, it's an original composition. <laughs> uh, this had some good stuff. Uh, Filters doing their cover of One by Three Dog Night. And then uh, the Food Fighters had Walking After You on there. Uh, Bjork had um, Hunter. Uh, the Cardigans had a song on there. Deuce, but I believe not the Kiss song. Um. They also featured Noel Gallagher, Sarah McLaughlin, X covering the, the Doors Crystal Ship, Soul Coughing. Um, but I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever tracked that song down. Um, and I don't have that soundtrack. I had the soundtrack I, I for the show. <laughs> I had the um, songs in the key of X. Yes. Uh, yeah. That one. Songs in the key of X. Um, that was the one that had like uh, Nick Cave and Frank Black and Danzig, and there was a lot of cool stuff on that. And the Foo Fighters and Filter again. <laughs> yes, yes, bit of a trend, I guess. I, 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 I'm, I just missed the all the music that the X Files had. Uh... X Files was like its own little like label at that point, putting out so many records. <laughs> um, I see oh, that. Wow. But mind you, when the movie came out in '98, I mean that was kind of peak X Files as well. Yeah. yeah. So following this, um, they put out. Well, sorry, actually, it was the year before. Galore, the greatest hits. Yeah. And um. That again featured a new song, which was Wrong Number. Interesting about Wrong Number, it features some famous people. Uh, Reeves Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. Plays guitar. David Bowie's guitarist. David Bowie's guitarist plays guitar on that song. And would later join the cure in 2012. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, the photo that you put up uh, for the Patreon advertising this thing, I'm like, you couldn't have chosen one for the '90s. Instead, you got the present day lineup, (laughs) Gabriel. I don't, I don't know. Robert (laughs) Smith looks the same from like 1988 to to now. Can't tell. I can't tell what what that's all from. But um, yeah, yeah. Wrong number again was like a was another good uh, single for the band. It made it number eight on the U.S. Hot Modern Tracks chart. And it charted in Australia, Netherlands, New Zealand, and UK in in the top 100 in all those places. So, and this was a this was getting close to the end of their record contract. Um, yeah. So the next album, Blood Flowers, that comes out in 2000, um, is basically the end of their deal with with fiction, fiction. and electro. Yeah, and Electra was starting to go downhill, I think, a little bit at this point. 
as yeah. well. So that, this this album and and uh, as I've said, I'm calling the the 1990s uh, 2000 rule. So this album was originally supposed to come out in 1999 and was right. delayed. <laughs> uh, I, I've heard 1998, but I've never seen anything concrete. All I knew is that they were re- recording the album in 1998 <laughs> and that. So th- this album came came out in, in February of actually February 15th. So. And if this podcast that's coming out on next Tuesday, it'll be coming out on the anniversary of the album. So um, they, um, yeah, so they, they, this was supposed to come out in 1999. Um, I, and was stated to be the third part of the trilogy with uh, pornography and uh, disintegration. And, and it it, kind of, fits in i mean they're all loosely connected but i mean sonically i mean like it's very very dark um very introspective the only unfortunate part about this album is that there's a lot of guitar droning on this album um this album was trashed when it came out melody maker titled their review goth awful and gave it a 1.5 out of 5 stars. Um, Rolling Stone said, Smith can write four bad songs in a row, and Cure albums tend to leak filler like an attic spilling insulation. Um, Droning and unforgivable. Uh, Trouser Press said, the album sounds completely uninspired. Smith and company go through the motions of cureness. Now, I remember when maybe someday came out, and you were like, Yeah, this sounds like the cure. Like, that was the yeah. last single. It was probably on the internet. And I, I remember them performing it live on, on nighttime TV. I, I forget which one, but like uh, at the time, I was in my final year of university, and my, my sister had just started university. We're both out of town and living together. Um, Again, and it was just like living at home, except mommy and daddy aren't there to mediate the fights. But yeah, and, and we both are like, oh, we're staying up because there he's on cures on Letterman or, or Jay Leno. I, I can't remember. It was one of those nighttime ones. Yeah, mom, they performed maybe Sunday, <laughs> or sorry, maybe sun, maybe someday. <laughs> there we go. Um, I didn't. I didn't spend a ton of time with this, but my impression is aligned with those reviews. The the thing that really stood out specifically though is it just doesn't have those super catchy melodic lines that all of the other material tends to have even while mood swings while it's overproduced like they at least come in with like some melodic line using you know guitar or horns or something that grabs you right away and this is just like muddy and meandering (laughs) Like it just never gets to the point of like, okay, where's the, like, what is the melodic hook here? Yeah. I I mean, myself, I love this album. I mean, of the three albums, Wish, Wild Moon Swings, Wild Wild Moon Swings and uh, Blood Flowers. I mean, this is my favorite one of the three, but yeah, I mean, it it could use some some editing. Uh, I, I mean, there's no obvious, single in that like uh, you go back to uh pornography from 1982 i mean yeah there's the hanging garden but um i i mean though that album isn't full of those 
obvious pop songs and and this is somewhat of the same i mean this is this is an album not like a collection of songs which is unfortunate and it's it's far more cohesive compared to the previous two but um at the same time i mean it just doesn't reach the height of any of the stuff in the 80s yeah it felt really muddy and just yeah like i said it's a lot of drawing it was like a blob of it was like not there was like no form to it You kept trying to pick it up and it would just fall through your fingers. Yeah, it was like <laughs> it was like slime. It was like I couldn't grasp like chord yeah. progressions and and it was just like a lot of like it, it, there was it was so difficult to listen to. And I've never listened to the stuff after um either uh like self-titled album in 2004 or, or 413 Dream in 2008. Um, I just like this record just so, so turned me on. I remember at the time because I don't know if you remember this, Jay, but our drummer Mark was a big Cure fan and he was very excited for this record to come out and then was like not happy. And just I just didn't care after this. Like this was so, such a boring record. It, it sounded like someone making a Cure album that didn't know what the Cure did well. Yeah. It's like they listened to one song in disintegration and went, well, this is what they sound like. Do something gothy. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so this is where we usually talk about in our, uh, in the nineties episodes, whether a band survived the nineties or whether the nineties did them in. Um, what do you think, Ian? Did did the Cure successfully navigate the '90s, or was this the end, beginning of the end for them? Um, their legacy survived the '90s, and there's no question about that. Obviously, they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019, but um, the band it was kind of almost going through the motions compared to what was going on in the '80s, and and even if you want a bit more exact answer of if they survived the 90s well in 2005 robert smith let go of perry Beaumont and roger o'donnell effectively killing the 90s lineup and that's so i mean from from that perspective it's like okay well the 90s cure did not survive yeah but um uh, like like i said they they their legacy survived but i think they they fell to their own um, hubris <laughs> Jay, what about you? Uh, I think Ian nailed it. I mean, this is a band that the catalog will will endure if you the output goes down. Um, you know, there's I'm sure they're still touring and doing well, yeah. but like creatively, if we've we've seen this pattern before in these roundtables we've done is for for a lot of bands that we've talked about. There's something about the '90s ends up being like the last creative um peak and then after that it becomes um some floundering like figuring out what to do and then reverting back to like well we kind of don't have to make new music we we have this huge catalog and we can just continue to go out and tour that and be fine doing that which is fine but i think uh their creativity you know potentially went somewhere in the mid 90s 
Yeah, they, they, they reached uh, post some girls uh, territory. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is kind of true. I mean, just looking at the way that the the nineties went, both in terms of their album sales and 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 uh, the quality and the reviews of the of the records. There's only two, but it's like a big dip from from Wish to Wild Mood Swings, and um, the attempt to recapture that with Bloodflowers is just a big mess. Uh, just so everybody's clear, Robert Smith is teasing a new record. He's t- right now. He's teasing a new tour. Um, if that happens, the current lineup is, of course, Robert Smith, Simon Gallup on bass and keyboards, Roger O'Donnell on um, keyboards and percussion, um, Jason Cooper on drums and percussion, and Reeves Gabriels on guitar and six-string bass. That's their current. That's the current lineup according to Wikipedia. So we'll see what happens. He's been saying he's been it's been a, it's like my bloody Valentine. There's been a lot of teasing going on in the last couple of years about oh there's new material, there's new material, new record, and then it hasn't been happening. So I think a lot of these people are waiting for all the COVID restrictions to get lifted so they can plan a big tour and not have it interrupted. Well, well, they did the 40th anniversary um, uh, live shows uh, a few years ago. Uh, and, and so, I mean, they, they've been discussing about new material since then, but uh, I mean, nothing uh, other than saying, oh yeah, we're thinking of going back to the studio and writing some new stuff. I mean, nothing concrete has been said <laughs> or established. Well, Ian, thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us, because Jay and I would have been, this would have been over a long time ago, let's put it that way, <laughs> if it was just, if it had just been me and Jay. We would have, we'd have done a, a, a thorough review of Wish. Right, exactly. <laughs> so thank you for yeah. forming this triangular table with us uh, on, this, on this episode. And uh, maybe next year we'll put up, we'll put Depeche Mode up again, and we'll do it up against um, John Mellencamp. And we'll see what happens with those two. Well, I, I've got some uh, payola for you for for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll be curious to see if there's enough melon heads. Is that what melon camp fans are called, melon heads? I, <laughs> I, I think be. now they're just called cougars. Oh, cougars! There you go. <laughs> wow! Damn. There we go, mic drop. (laughs) Mic drop. Let's just we gotta end it on that. That's perfect. Uh thank you for coming back, Ian. Always love having you. Um do you wanna do you wanna plug anything besides your amazing record collection that's behind you? Do you wanna design Uh, it? No, no, I I I don't uh have anything to plug. Okay. Um well we do. Uh typically at the end of the show, that's what we do, and I'm gonna do it right now. So if you would like to join us at Patreon, join the Dig Me Out Union. You can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. You can vote in the polls for our uh, albums. If Depending on what uh, level you're at, you can even vote on the polls to pick these roundtables and pick our 80s episodes. Just head on over to the union at uh, dmounion.com. And uh, if you want to suggest an album, you go to digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you go. Drop a album title 
artist, a little description, tell us why you want us to review it, and it'll go in the hopper, and uh, maybe it'll get picked for a future review. It's also where you go to sign up for the Box newsletter. It goes out every week with a couple of new reviews of new 80s and 90s relevant music, uh, TV shows, movies, documentaries, books, anything that's relevant to our mission here at Dig Me Out. And then lastly, Apple Podcasts is uh, where you go to leave a positive review for the show. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Don't ever-